HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, this is Greg Bresnitz, one half the host of Snacky Tunes. We have had the honor of being nominated by Taste Awards for Best Radio Show and Best Podcast. Please head to bit.do backslash stvote in order to vote for Snacky Tunes and other food favorites. Once again, that's bit.do backslash stvote. And a big congratulations to Heritage Radio Network for being nominated into the Hall of Fame. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Today's program was brought to you by Roth, Wisconsin, makers of the world's best cheese and pioneers in the U.S. artisan cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, host of Full Service Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this show, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food. Talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz, sitting in what seems to be real close to Checkpoint Charlie uh, with Billy Wagner of Noble Heart and Schmutzig. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for joining and thanks for being on the show. Hi. Hi. Uh, I want to start with the cast, which I think is a really interesting way for you to present all the people involved. It's really kind of called out on there. Um, how did the cast come together? And how did you form as a as a group or ensemble, if you will? Um, we are a very small restaurant. We have like 28 seats around the bar. We have one big table with 14 seats. And um, it's like maybe sitting... Um, in a, in a theater, and the kitchen is the stage. And um, so the person who was translating um, our, our German into English, she said it would be a good way to, to call it the cask because you are all the, the actors somehow, and you're going to make the show for the guests at the end of the day. And we are like right now eight people in the in the restaurant. One is a steward. Um, we have four chefs: head chef Micha, and then we are uh, three in the uh, service section. So my sommelier um, Johannes, me, and my restaurant chef um, um, Jule. So um, th- most people we knew before, or we got our you know. We got some recommendations from other friends um, which are in the industry and recommending us good people. And they were, we were talking to them and they liked the idea, they liked the concept. Um, they were seeing that this is not only serving food and drinks, that there is a little bit more at the end of the day. Hmm. Yeah. And what is your background or where were you before uh, opening? Um, my background is that um, my grandparents had a restaurant, my parents had a restaurant. So I was born into you a had rest- no choice. <laughs> no choice, exactly. So I was I was born into a restaurant somehow. So when I was young, uh, went to school. When I came home after school, there, I was always having my dinners, my lunches in the restaurant, and normal people sitting around me. Do they still so, exist? No, no. They are older. Well, they are they are retired so far. Where were they in? Uh, they were the the last twenty years. They were in uh, Erlangen mm. near Nuremberg, which is in Bavaria, Franconia. Mm-hmm. And this was like a very good basic restaurant. I wouldn't say family style, but a little bit more easy, but well cooked. All fresh products, um, very simple, uh, but with an with an um, not local idea, but with a with a, with a normal idea of producing German food at the, the uh, at the time, which was like in the early nineties, early two thousands, I would say. Um, and I was growing up in this restaurant, obviously, and uh, so uh, I had no choice of, of working there because I had to, when, when my parents need to, needed some help, then I uh, needed to, to, to help them, obviously. And so at one point after school, I decided to do uh, an apprenticeship in a, in a restaurant, in a hotel, actually. Uh, and then I worked always in different restaurants afterwards, and... At some point, I realized that wine is an interesting focus. Mm. So I, I never went to sommelier school or anything. I think wine is something very practical. You have to drink it. You have to try <laughs> a lot of things. If one must. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You have to try a lot of things. You know, theory is is 
is interesting, yes, but at the end, all the theory doesn't mean anything or something. And, and I read about this one guy, he, he, he's a sommelier and he never drank wine before because he's Muslim. I think it's crazy, you know, it's weird for me mm. because it's such a <laughs> combination, I think, that you have to have the wine in your mouth. So I love that idea of, of drinking something. And I, I love the idea of, of different tastes. So at one point, I, I become a sommelier. Um, and uh, in 2008, I came to Berlin. And I worked there for six years at Roots, which is a, a really nice wine bar, restaurant, Michelin star awarded, and so on. And uh, at some point, I thought, I'm working so many hours um, that I can, that I can uh, do the hours for myself mm. so can work so much for myself and then I opened up the restaurant um, with help of Misha and what um, year was that? Hmm? what year? Uh, we opened up last year in 14 uh, on um, 11th of February okay. so 2015 okay. then we opened up and I got to know Misha in 2014 and we had about a year time to to uh, develop everything and um, yeah and what's amazing about this is just the the focus um, you, you know you could pull from anywhere but really Berlin uh, and sourcing from Berlin is, is your focus how did you get to that point or how did that kind of notion develop um, with with your chef and um, at the end of the day if you go to Sicily or if you go to south of France or to Catalonia um, it's completely normal that you, that these people, that these people who live there, source their products from where they are living. The only thing that is really new that a Nordic uh, region, and we are in a, in a Nordic region, we are. I'm always saying we are more towards um, uh, Scandinavia than we are to Italy mm -hmm. because we don't grow wine here mm. or don't grow grapes here. We, we grow grain, we do barley, we do beer out of this. So, so we are in a very Nordic um, uh, atmosphere, I think. And the only thing that is really new that a Nordic country is, or a Nordic region is being brave enough to, to look at their products, what they are having. So um, doing this allows us to know the people who are going to feed us. You know, who produce the food, which um, produce produce, which we like to, which which we can develop, which we have the possibility of um, uh, influencing the, the 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 farmer, the, the the producer with certain ideas. The farmer from Sicily, who should he who should he care about a restaurant, or why should he care about about a restaurant in Berlin? It's way too far away. There is no connection, and here in in our region, there needs to be a connection between the farmer and the person and and and, and the chef. And Berlin is even something more special because Berlin was separated for so long, and in the east um, there was um, this whole different style of producing food. It was mass production. It was, uh, you know, the, the Planwirtschaft, where you, uh, where the communists said for over five years they had to produce this kind of amount of celeriac and, and tomatoes and potatoes and so on. So there was a complete different idea of how uh, produce or products uh, or connection between cooks and or chefs and um, 
uh, farmers were connected. And we like to develop this somehow. And so what have you learned from your local suppliers? Like what have they taught you um, that might have been unexpected or kind of unknown as you went down this path? Um, um, we have to look up a word um, because I don't know it in English. Maybe one big thing is, you know, to, to be a farmer nowadays, it's, um, for most people, it's not a really uh, uh, achievable um, uh, job description or not achievable um, way of living, you know, to become a doctor or a lawyer or working in a marketing agency or a communication agency or become something is somehow way more achievable for, for uh, young people. And to become a farmer, it's, it doesn't seem that this is a, has a lot of recognition in society somehow, that you're doing something really great. It's kind of funny because two, three, four hundred years ago, it was a very respected job because everybody had to eat something. And the person who was producing the food was something very important. But nowadays, it's not more so important, it seems. So um, we learned from farming uh, humility mm -hmm. that this is a great, exhausting job. Um, we learned um, how much work, how much effort it takes to produce something really great and that every year is new because the season, the, the climate, the, the weather is changing so often. So there's not... It's not always the same. It, there's always something crazy going on, it seems. And we learned that the farmer, at the end of, his, end of the day, it's a farmer. And we, the, the farmer can be really happy that we are existing because we, we try to tell him what are his really great advantages of and that we're going to put him in power that he is doing something really great. And we are somehow fighting for that they get the right amount of money for their work, what they are doing. So, for instance, we, we never argue with the prices what a farmer is telling us. Mm. We don't want to push him down. To you know, Most of the time you go in a, in a supermarket, you always see... You never see we have the best tomatoes or the best cherries or the best strawberries. We have the cheapest and right. the cheapest. Right. And the cheapest is, doesn't always mean that somebody has to give away something from their salary, from their what they earn. So we somehow um, want to make the, 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 the produce, the, the producer, the, 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 the farmer much more important in our society. Hmm. And this is what we learned, that this is very necessary, that we uh, make him a person who's more special because we need more crazy people who are doing great produce. There are farmers outside in the world, they, they do mass production and producing tons of vegetables and whatever, or tons of breeding chicken and so on and so on. This is We don't talk about them. We talk about... The, the individual person, the, the 
the farm which is outside of Berlin and focusing on only a couple of people, but on them they can focus in a really great, interesting way. What's an example of crazy produce that uh, you've discovered in your searches? At the end, it's, it's all things which is... No, I'm crazy. For instance, eggs. Okay. Eggs is something really... You buy them without thinking. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, when you buy an egg, you know it's only female chicken. If a, if a chicken gives birth... To, like if birth, if 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 an if an um, chicken is is growing up, what are you going to do with, with the male chicken? You're going to slaughter it, hmm. take it away, just destroy it. Um, how do you feed the the chicken? You're going to give it some some food that they produce a lot of eggs, and you're usually trying to keep them as little space as possible and uh, to be efficient in your way of producing egg because you have a natural thing and you're trying to make it somehow straight and work that you have the possibility of getting the most eggs as you want. So we are going a different way and we are, we are talking to, to uh, Frau Schlegel. She, she is the, the person who's doing our eggs and who is doing our uh, poultry and we were trying to find a way that she can use everything what she's, what she's creating. So she's using the, the male uh, chicken, she's using the female chicken. She's using no special feeding that they produce a lot of eggs, you know. Uh, we want that the chicken run around, that uh, they eat what, is, what the soil gives them, that they eat certain kind of grasses, um, that, it, that the egg at the end of the day and that the chicken tastes at the end of the day different from summer to winter because in summer they eat different things than they do in, 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 in winter and so on and so on. So we are somehow, it's, it's sometimes the very easy things and the things where you say, oh, it's not special, an egg. Mm. But for us, an egg is really, really special because we want to concentrate on, on, the, on the basic things and to produce them really, really right. Mm. So one of the things that you also call out is that you have no use of pepper, citrus, etc., things that are non-native to Berlin. So yes. um, it's an interesting challenge. What have you used to, re to replace it, or what is you know, native to Berlin that comes in and uses for your seasoning of your dishes? Um, when, a, when, a, when a chef thinks of um, acidity... Right, the first thing is what they think of is lemon mm -hmm. because it's the most common thing to put acid in a dish. Um, we don't use lemon, not because we don't like them. We love lemon and it's a great product. But there is so much, so much more which has the advantage or which has the, which has the same possibility of, of, of souring things. And even making the taste a little bit different. If you work with verjus, which is ungripe grape juice, or when you sour with uh, ronin berries, or when you sour with sea buckthorn, and, or when you sour with whey, you, can, you, you have a, a, a certain acidity in your course as well, but it's slightly different because you... Um, because it is slightly different because it tastes a little bit different, and it's a little bit different haptic in your mouth. And this makes it interesting that your dishes taste 
at the end of the day a little bit different than what they normally taste. Because when you always put makeup on your food, which is seasoning at the end of the day, and it's always the same makeup, then it always looks and tastes the same. Hmm. So we are somehow working... So when, 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 when we use um, spiciness uh, or sharpness, like for instance uh, pepper... We use, a lot of the times, we use uh, mustard seeds. Mm. It is, can be sharp and burning on your tongue as well, but it is a different burn. But we don't have pepper here, so by not using pepper and using mustard, we somehow create a certain taste, which is more familiar to this region where we are living in than it's normally used. And this is what we want to do. We want to find out what kind of taste is Berlin, Germany capable of? If you think of a Sicilian course or, a, or Italian cuisine at the end of the day, you, you, you have a certain aromatic, a certain mindset in mind. Nobody hasn't done this for the region where we are living in. So, and we, we don't know what it will look like in five or ten years when we have figured out everything, but now we are trying to figuring out what the region, what the taste of Berlin is like. Well, now that you've been open for a year and a half, um, and you have uh, now been through a full growing season, are your producers producing stuff for you specifically? Do they now um, grow ingredients that they otherwise would not have grown before because the restaurant is pulling from uh, the Berlin soil? We, this is interesting, we, we, the, we opened up last year in February and we worked with the products which were there. And we got in contact with certain farmers and we figured out, okay, this farmer is better than that farmer. And it's not only because of farming, it's because of logistics and being reliable on certain things as well. Um, then, at the end of the last year we started to make plans for certain farmers and we're trying to find out they are planting certain certain uh, products for us in certain quantities uh, in certain qualities and we, now we are we are seeing we're getting from that farmer these kind of products and some were really great and some are not so good as the other one so we are trying to uh, get an idea which farmer has the good um, the good seeds or which seeds work on the great on the soil in a great way or being in the climate really really lovely um, and this is the thing that we need to do this because we, we need to find out who is b- best and what in the wine world it's completely normal you would never go to Burgundy and would plant a Cabernet Sauvignon right because Chardonnay and Pinot Noir is you know that's the thing what you're gonna do this is the best wines which work there, which we bring the best grapes and the best wine. So, But in the food way, you haven't been done this so far. You don't really know which area is really better than the other. You buy your, you buy your rhubarb from somebody and you buy it and you like it or not. But there was no question about what kind of rhubarb they used, what kind of variety they used. Is the, is the variety working on the soil, what they are growing? And then it comes another point that how they treat the variety in a certain region, you need to have some different treatments for different... So it's a huge spectrum, which is um, a year and a half, I think we have quite far already, but there's a lot of things to do to find out what 
what we are capable of. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to take a quick musical break, mm -hmm. and then we're going to be right back and talk about the other side of the restaurant, the beverage program, mm -hmm. here on Snacky Tunes. Check, check. check. So uh, on the other side of the amazing food that you serve, your beverage program is really incredible. And it's also a really uh, wonderful joy to read your menu because everything is written out so well and so thoughtful. So I want to kind of touch on four different areas um, about it. And I want to start with the water policy because mm -hmm. uh, I've definitely been to restaurants of, of this ilk and, you know, every bottle is, you know, all of a sudden you've got 100 euros added onto your bill. So... Explain to me how you arrived at your water policy and how you kind of picked um, that type of service. At the end, I, I thought it is, <laughs> I'm kind of really lazy <laughs> in um, carrying water from the cellar up to the restaurant and empty bottles down to the cellar 
and then the new delivery once a week usually comes and you're going to bring it up to the person who delivers the water and then you're going to bring the new bottles down to the cellar and this whole this whole um, this whole thing is so much work that it is so unnecessary work I think that I said we're going to skip this um, and obviously at the same time it's a very psychological friendliness to the customer if you don't charge for the water. Obviously, we have a little. We charge eighty euro for the water uh, for the for the menu. Sorry, and uh, it all comes out. Yes, <laughs> we charge eighty euro for the for the for the food, and we have a small percentage of five euro where we say this is for our water mm. uh, in calculation and so on. But um, at the end of the day. People can drink so much as they want, which is very necessary. And if they drink more water, they drink more wine, or they they um, how do you say this? Um, they they tolerate the alcohol which they should drink much mm. better. Mm. And and this is what we want that people spend their money on 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 wine and spending a lot of money on wine and obviously wine has alcohol and they shouldn't feel bad doing it so physically and obviously psychologically as well and if you drink three bottles of water right next to five glasses of wine you feel much better <laughs> than you would if you would not do it, you know? And we are a restaurant, even if you're sitting here and you've completely done, and we try to keep your water glass as full as possible. Mm. We filter the water. It's a Brita filter. Um, we ionize the water with Aqua Blue. So we try to get great, soft, very energetic, slowed down water. You have to imagine water in our... Um, uh, Western Hemisphere is always running through pipes and it's coming from one um, place going to other place. It's never standing. Mm. And when you look at the molecules of water, you when the water is standing, it looks it, it's different, and then it tastes different, mm. quite quite different. We in Berlin have a very strong mineral water, so our water seems here in the restaurant more soft, more lighter from the texture, and. That's the whole thing, why we do the water for free and that what we want with it. But at the end of the day, it's about my laziness, uh, <laughs> carrying the, the bottles from cellar to restaurant and from restaurant to cellar and so on and so on. Uh, so kind of up next is beer. Um, and obviously beer is so, so important in, in Germany. How... What role does beer play in this restaurant? Uh, you know, you would think that this is mostly wine, but you have such a great kind of background and you have a no craft beer policy. Um, how does that fit into the mentality? Germany has a very big culture when it comes to beer. Um, but most of the time it is... Uh, it's regional beer, which means, you know, if you are growing up in Bavaria, if you're growing up in Franconia you're going to drink your beer and you're going to drink it all life long. So it's like being a fan of, a, of, of a Bayern Munich. You, you will never change 
You will never be going to a different soccer uh, club. You will never do this. And it's the same with the beer. If you have your first alcoholic experience as somebody who is 14, 15, 16 years old, you, and you're going to have that with that kind of beer, you're going to stick with this probably all, all life long. Um, in the last couple of years, there was a little change in this, that beer get more diverse and that there are a lot of new interesting tastes and uh, beer styles coming into Germany and that this whole craft beer movement arrived in Germany and people starting to drink ales, pale ales, IPAs, stouts, uh, all these kind of different things. We have in Berlin, we have a huge community right now of small brewers which which do... Um, a, 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 great different styles than only Helles and Pils and wheat beer because these are the three styles which I would say 95% of all Germans drink. You maybe have some exceptions if you are in Cologne, they, people are going to drink Kölsch or when people coming from Düsseldorf, they're going to drink Altbier. But at the end of the day, it's mostly that most people drink Pilsner, Helles or uh, wheat beer. So being in Germany and beer is so important with one of the hugest um, amounts of breweries in the world, but brewing only, at the end of the day, maybe five or six different beer types for the German market, um, then it is kind of crazy that uh, we shouldn't concentrate on beer. We have to concentrate on beer and show the diversity of German beer at the one side, but also showing the beer... The, the beer diversity in general, what beer can mean. And obviously beer has different tastes and with different tastes you can accompany different foods in a in a really interesting way, which we like to do as well. So when people ordering a uh, beverage pairing, we also call it beverage pairing, not wine pairing, then we also serve one or two beers with mm. it normally. Um, because for a lot of dishes, wine doesn't make so much sense than serving a beer. And beer allows you to have a huge range of different tastes and different, different uh, styles that you can combine food and um, beer in a, in, a, in, a, in a different way in a different way than you would do it with a normal white wine or normal red wine. Hmm. Uh, one of my favorite reads in the whole menu book, which I recommend anyone listening after this to go and read your beverage menu, is the schnapp section. Mm -hmm. um, while all the other sections kind of read a little bit like educational, this almost <laughs> reads like a speech bordering on a rant, um, including such lines like, it's a farce, um, and a rally against bartenders as ambassadors. Um, so while well, asking you now, what is your feeling on the current state of schnapps, and how do you battle against that and what you serve in your restaurant? We have, you know, we have this huge bar scene in, in, in Germany, which I would say started like really going straight like maybe uh, 10, 15 years ago. And it was all about bourbon, whiskey. It was all about vodka. We have this huge gin hype in Germany uh, where you have restaurants, well, not restaurants, where you have bars where they offer like, hundred of different gins and so on and 
when you look at the companies who are really producing these, it's only actually a few. So they make up all these different brands and these different marketing ideas and some agencies doing a really nice story around a product. And, and at the end of the day, it, it, it's all somehow, it seems that it's all kind of marketing. Then when you talk to bartenders, um, where they get their knowledge from, Mm, it's always really difficult because they get their knowledge from the industry. Hmm. And the industry is putting out the certain um, curriculums, how they teach people, what they're going to tell, um, that they're going to know how the, the product is really produced in an exact way. And we were questioning this because... Really, there isn't, there isn't much people working with uh, German schnapps, with German fruit schnapps. Because when I started to work in the restaurant business, you were drinking a certain time, you were drinking after meal, the German fruit schnapps. So we have fruits which are somehow preserved in alcohol and then distilled. And then, uh, or the fruit is made into, or is changed into alcohol, or processed into alcohol, and then uh, you're going to have a schnapps from, from it, which is a German, huge German uh, um, uh, um, heritage, I would say. Uh, you're going to find this in Switzerland, and in Austria, and Italy, and France as well, but in, in the south of Germany, it's, it's, it's quite common to, to do this. So, and we were thinking that nobody's really taking care of this topic. And this is such an important topic. And when you talk to these um, schnapps producers, you, you feel right away that they are doing really handcrafted things. And when you ask them, have you ever visited big alcohol-producing companies produce bourbon and stuff like, like this, I said, oh, yeah, come on. You know, they are tricksing here. They are, they are trying to do their certain things. And it's, it's, it's industry-made, you know? And most of them are doing a really interesting handmade product, which is not so recognized, uh, or recognized as something really cool and achievement or achievable. And we wanted to focus on that. So, what are some of the brands or some of the types that you serve here? Um, we have, you know, like we have wines from certain growers and not companies. We have schnapps from no companies from growers. So most of them they 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 grow their their vegetable uh, their, their vegetable their their fruit by themselves, or they buy it from people who are living in the region and buying certain produce and making out of the produce a schnapps. So, for instance, one of our most important one is uh, Christoph Keller from the Stellemühle. He's the guy who he, he was behind uh, Monkeys 47, which mm. is a very influential um, uh, gin. Uh, Rudolf Schwarzer from Austria is a very important one. Um, Josef Fathofer is a very important one. Uh, Fridolin Baumgartner is a very important one. So they all bring, they all do something which is in our mindset very important. Two, three hundred years ago, you had so much fruit to a certain time that you need to 
um, that you need to preserve it in some way. In some way, you made juice out of it. In some way, you made marmalade out of it. In some way, you're going to preserve it, pickled it, whatever you did. And in some way, you did some schnapps out of it. And from that history, it's something really important what we trying to tell people, you know. And these drinks are very, um, these beverages are very German. So people from other states, they don't usually know these kind of schnapses so well. They have not seen them so often because the whole world is focused on on, on whiskey. And people paying hundreds of euro for a whiskey... But if you're going to produce a fruit schnapps, they say, wow, okay, come on. Why is that so expensive, you know? Mm. Uh, so the last kind of part of the beverage program I've focused on is wine and your philosophy behind kind of like the fermented fruit wine. Mm -hmm. um, you talk about, you know, fermented cherries uh, is not considered a wine, but it, you, I think you presuppose that, you know, it, it is. In the, in the German law. In, in the, the German, German law. In German law. It's not. It's not. Um, and most people probably argue uh, along the same wines, but um, you talk about the Werder Blossom Festival from 1879 as a, as a starting point. Can you give some context around the festival and, and you know, your philosophy of looking outside the grape? And being in the, you know... Humans always wanted to have um, uh, or needed alcohol because alcohol was at a certain time age, it was the only thing that was really clear and what was uh, clean at the end of the day. So with alcohol, uh, people could drink something and the, uh, the water issue being rotten was something really, was really something difficult, I would say. And being in that region where we live in, where we don't grow grapes, where we don't have wine because wine is not getting ripe enough, um, the fruit wine thing is something really uh, interesting that you have the possibility of a person who's producing uh, cherries, plums, red currant, rhubarb, um, all kinds of different fruits getting really crazy about the quality of the fruit and to produce then or to process the fruit into a different drink. And when they do this, they're going to help somehow the region with, um, with a certain... with a certain... idea that farming makes much more sense if you process the fruit to a different drink than only producing the fruit and then selling the fruit because people are somehow paying way more for a processed fruit than only for the fruit. Mm. The fruit itself has a certain price and people would never pay uh, 100 euro for a kilo of uh, grapes mm. or um, cherries. But for a bottle of wine, 50 euro is not something really crazy. Mm. So farming nowadays makes not really is a really hard job and it's and it's really hard that that people earn the, the the right amount of money and being in our region where we are uh is this can be a really big advantage because we have so much cherries we have so much apples around berlin that we have to process these things and in, into a different stage and do it with the same quality um, idea than we would use grapes so for us, working local and 
trying to somehow change uh, the, the perspective is that we're trying to change the perspective from customers, which means usually when they see fruit wine, they say, oh, it's much more easy and much more cheap than a normal wine. But um, we say, no, that's not true. Uh, a wine, a beer, a fruit wine can be on the same level of uh, intensity, of quality-wise, which we like to... Uh, yeah, which, which, which is for us very important that people understand that this is the same quality issue, you know, and that you can produce a great beverage out of everything if you do it really right. And nobody hasn't done it so far in a, in a really same manner here in the region of Berlin. Outside of Berlin, from Denmark, from, from Brittany, from um, Italy, you're going to find here and there some single products. But uh, we are in Germany not so far yet that we're going to produce great products from other, other alcoholic drinks besides uh, wine. Is there, is there one purveyor that you think is exemplary of it? And, and what is the, the base fruit of their uh, fruit wine. Here in Germany? No, just in any of the regions. What is purveyor? Uh, the, pr the supplier. Yes. Um, I love, and I think it's very important, you know, we have two suppliers which we work really close from, from Denmark. The one is from Lolland. Uh, it's Fredericksdale. It's a cherry wine uh, producer, um, which, which had problems. They have like about 42 hectares of cherries. And the cherry price went really down and because nobody really was wanted to pay so much money for the cherries. So they, they, they had to either they take the cherries away, destroy them and plant something what they get money for, or they're going to process the cherries somehow into a cherry wine on to get the money what they need for their processing and for their fruit production. And the other one is called and Winery, another one from, from, from Denmark, and they are great and they make a great rhubarb wine and uh, a great red currant wine and they do some sweet um, uh, apple uh, ice wine and this is great products which you don't see so often. They are pricey, but not pricier than a bottle of wine. They are pricey for their range, mm. what they usually produced, but for a wine... Paying 15, 20 uh, euro for a bottle is nothing, something crazy. But for a rhubarb wine, it's unbelievable much to produce that amount, <laughs> to, to pay that amount of money for it. But it, it shows perfectly that these kind of business can work quite a lot. Hmm. Well, I want to thank you for making time for me today. Um, thank you. Where can people find you? How can they make reservations? Um, how can they get a hold of you? Um... They should check um, the internet uh, on www.nobelhartundschmutzig.com. Um, and then obviously we are working with social media quite well. So we are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And um, when they want to do a reservation, they check our homepage. There they have the possibility of. And or they give us a call. And you're closing for a bit this summer, right? Uh, we are trying to close as much as possible in the year. <laughs> Um, because uh, being creative means that you need some some time for yourself as well. So we are closing about uh, for four weeks from mid-August to mid-September, and we are always trying to close for about two to three weeks 
in uh, January. Okay. So, so beginning make, of January. So make sure you check. Um, we're going to take a quick musical break, and then we'll be back with the second part of Snacky Tunes. A long time ago, when we were in school, you used to laugh at me, call me a fool. How I dreamed of the day that you would change your tune. I never thought that day would come so soon. You went from name calling to calling my name. You went from schoolyard teasing to all night pleasing. Used to be so much trouble. Now your love is double. Things will never be the same since you went from name calling to calling my name. summer vacation I knew I had changed your heart said occasion oh don't know what I did change your mind must have been something within you all the time you went from name calling to calling my name you went from school teasing to all night pleasing used to be so much trouble now you're with me on the double things will never be the same since you went from Name calling, so calling my name. Now instead of fussing and fighting, we're making sweet romance and love letter writing. Like the old saying goes, and girl, you must take heed. I may not be what you want, but I'm what you need. tasted the world's best cheese? Grand Cru Sirchois is the 2016 World Cheese Champion. Our partners at Roth, Wisconsin make this gorgeous alpine-style cheese in the rolling hills of Greene County, Wisconsin. Grand Cru Sirchois is produced by hand in Swiss copper vats and finished by aging on spruce planks. The quality milk and careful craftsmanship bring out the award-winning light floral notes, nutty undertones, a hint of fruitiness, and a mellow finish. Perfect with Riesling and Muscat, Grand Cru Sirchois is a guaranteed hit for any occasion. Check out their other offerings at RothCheese.com. You'll discover Buttermilk Blue and their newest release, Prairie Sunset, the golden-hued love child of Mimolette and Gouda. You'll also find recipes like the Raclette Reuben and Tomato Tartlets. Everything you need to know about the world's best cheese is at RothCheese.com. 
Welcome, Moon Hooch. Yeah. Hey. Um, are you guys can move a little bit closer to the to the cool. mic. I have to say that you are my favorite buskers, and thank you. Uh, Hold on, let, let's step back. So we I can't, I can't start with compliments. Well, no, you can start with compliments. But uh, Darren and I were, you know, I, we we live off the L train, and I transfer at Fourteenth Square, and like I saw you guys play, and I was like, man, like I see a lot of buskers, but like. What are these guys doing down here? Like, this doesn't make any sense. They're a little bit too, you know, they're not playing a pan flute. And, like, I really felt that you guys should be, like, above ground. And then we started talking. I was like, dude, I saw this, I saw this band. He's like, was it Moon Hooch? I was like, yeah, it was totally those guys. <laughs> um, so eventually we were like, we got to just get these guys on the show. And then I saw you play, like, a few weeks ago on a Friday night. I was coming back from dinner. And it was a literal just dance party in, at 14th Square. Um, people were just skipping their trains just to... Uh, just to dance. First yeah. off, how often does that happen? Every weekend if we, if we play yeah. there. But we don't play every weekend, so right. it's kind of irregular. Yeah, recently we've been playing at Union, uh, actually Washington Square Park, under the arch. Who, mm. who do I have to go beat up if they like move you away from my train stop? Well, re- it, actually, it did happen already. The police has been cracking down all the buskers at, at 14th Street, Union Square. Yeah, they're like... They're trying to stop. Yeah, so you, lately, yeah. every time we played there, we were stopped by the so, police. So let's step back. How do you become a, a busker in New York? And like, is it official? Is it a schedule? Uh, well, the way we do it is very unofficial. We just set up wherever and play. It's totally illegal. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is like a program called Music Under New York. And that gives you like a permit to play. But you can't play in the subways. On the platforms, you can only play in the mezzanines. Okay. But the problem with this is the judges of the program are musicians themselves, subway musicians themselves, so they give themselves the permits. Uh, and we applied okay. for it. We didn't get one. We didn't get a permit. So. <laughs> is, there, is there a code of, like, is there a code? Because I feel that I saw you guys play there on, like, somewhat regular, ba- like, basis. Like, is there a code, like, hey, man, we were here first, or it's like... Oh, like, yeah. other buskers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's first come, first serve, really. Well, and, uh, it, yeah, it was really hard for us to, like, get accepted by the other buskers because yeah. some of them do this for, like, 10 years. Right. And, like, I mean, there was definitely a couple of occasions where we almost like, got in fistfights. Yeah. Really? Uh, James, James. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll leave that story for, uh, for off air. But, uh, so, but so what is the, I mean, what is the history of you guys? Like, how did you form and how did you decide to, to go underground, like, literally? Well, we were all we all went to the new school okay. uh, for music together, and um, James and I were friends. But once and I kind of knew each other. Wait, take it around the room because we didn't make an. Oh yeah, sense. James is the. <laughs> Hello. He's the distant voice in the back. Just the drummer. <laughs> I don't have a microphone. Oh no, it sounds good. It sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. It's picking up. Yeah. Right. So and, uh, James. I'm Mike. Okay. Saxophone. I'm Wenzel. Yeah, Other saxophone. saxophone. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we went to school together. And James and I were playing, uh, you know, separately, and Wenzel was playing with James, and we were both kind of going down to the subway, but on, like, in separate groups, you know, just separate duos. And then one day we met in um, Washington Square, and James and Wenzel were playing under the arch, and I was with another drummer um, named Max, and we decided to play together, and a huge crowd formed around us, and we were playing, um, like, house kind of like house housey dance music because Wenzel has been producing it and um, you know he said like oh, I'll play in this key something like that and came up with a melody over it and you know, we got a really good crowd reaction 
So you decided to keep going with it. Yeah, I started just riding in the subway, on the subway rides to the platform, just little melodies and, and bass lines, just like I would do when I produce like an electronic song, like that kind of style, and showed it to Mike, and we just quickly learned it by heart and started playing. In the beginning, we only had like one or two songs, and like we just all loop, night we just, we're just yeah. looping the same song. <laughs> it kept it kept drunk people dancing. Though. Yeah, but I mean, if it's a subway platform, like you really probably like need like what maybe like twenty two minutes if it's late at night because the trains right. Yeah, even, right. even less. I mean, twenty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm being generous. Yeah, yeah. Like, but but yeah, now we have like a full like I don't know two hour set. With, like I mean, you have a full record. Twenty. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we actually we, have another one ready, but we. We're gonna work on it some more before we go and go in the studio. Uh, and before we get into a song, um, where did the name come from? Mike just blurted out one day. We were playing. We had no name. We weren't even considering ourselves a band. We were just all making money in the subway. And somebody asked us, "Hey, well, what's our name?" And Mike just was in a goofy mood and said, "Moon Juice." And we said, oh, "Actually, that sounds like a cool name." And then we looked it up, and there were eight bands called Moon Juice. Of course. <laughs> and <laughs> then, Obviously. Then we went through the thesaurus, and we found a replacement for Juice. I mean, it, it is... And then Hooch, and then it made sense. Like, oh, it's like yeah. Moonshine. Or yeah. yeah. No, it's good. Let's get into a song. Yeah. All right. Let's do a song. Let's which, uh, which one are you guys going to play first? Number um, seven, this one's called. Or Take the L Train. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I get the reference. Uh, <laughs> live, uh, live on Snacky Tunes, Moon Hooch. It's, uh, it's about to get loud.
Wow. I think that is the loudest that it's been in here. Uh, no. No? Maculates. Oh, Maculates. Yeah, I guess they had, they had amps. All right, second, second loudest. So uh, dancy. Yeah, so dancy. I mean, so how much of does your electronic house music background come to influence uh, in writing your songs now? Um, well, a, yeah, fair amount, actually. We, we all started listening to electronic music. Uh, probably, I mean, I started listening to electronic music probably about two years ago. Wenzel's been doing it for like maybe five years. Mike, about the same Have you? Years. Five years? What? Listening or producing? Listening. I've been listening I to. I got really into electronic music when I started producing it. Like that's I think when I got. When was that? I don't. I don't know. When was it? Like on the cruise ship. Eight or seven. Uh, it was an eight or nine. Uh, cruise ship. Cruise ship. Yeah, I was working on a cruise ship, and I. That's like two thousand. Nine. Nine, yeah. what, what were you are going to drop that in there like it's a comment what were you doing on a cruise ship <laughs> well, I, was, I was actually working there as a saxophone player and flautist and clarinetist oh okay but, but my passion was not really the music we played there it was just more like work and I got to know the DJ of okay. the cruise ship and we just like started producing together amazing yeah. so how did you so how did you go from busking to gigs or were you also pursuing gigs like in clubs along the same time I think it's just that people see us on the train and, and literally drop their card or take our card or, you know, get in touch with us. Uh, and now we have a manager, so things are much thank, Hey, by the way, thank you, Rich. He got back to me immediately. Signed yeah, Richard's the man. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's nailing it. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's much easier now. Yeah. I, I can imagine. So um, what was your first gig um, outside of busking together? As first movie? ever? I remember it. You know where it was? I, I was on the, on the rooftop of... What's the name? The red hair girl. Oh, that's right. Uh, Randall Wendell. Oh, yeah. Randall yeah. Wendell, yeah. Holy shit, was yeah. that the first that ever? That was our first gig. I remember In Williamsburg, exactly, that's right. Yeah. Because we, yeah, we never played a gig before and we were like really worried we we're going to run out of songs and whatnot or people are not going to like it. I, I you remember can't do exactly. the like repeat trick. Like you do in right. the subway. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> but, but it was really cool. Actually, people started dancing so hard, the roof almost collapsed. Yeah, but that, that was not because people danced. It was the roof was shitty. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was it was definitely quite an experience. And then so and you guys formed when exactly? Summer of 2010. Okay. Oh, so not that not that long ago. No, we're, we're newborns. Yeah. That's amazing. So, in two years. Yeah. So like just to go back to the subway because it's it's such an interesting thing. We don't get to talk to too many buskers. Like, what was it like that you had to do to get accepted by the other buskers? Um, and like, what were some um, of the the, well, the trappings? You know, they, they used to come at us, like, we'd play and, like, a, a bucket drummer came, sat up next to us and started playing a different tempo. And yeah, they, they were, wow. like, real and, rude, but, like, super, super aggressive. Yeah, wow. Super sandbag. So really aggressive. No, it's not passive aggressive. And then, like, we said something like, what, what do you want to play together? Or, like, do you want to... Just wouldn't respond. I'm doing this for ten years. T- ten years. Do you see the marks here? That's because I've made them. I've been here for ten years. Oh, the marks as the yeah, people want. and, you know... Yeah, it got really heated, the situation, and we so left. We ended up just and, and, and like, whatever, man, you can it, have you know, just, the, We're not going to fight you over situation this. Yeah. Over and over again, and then the, the other buskers actually listen to you, and then they actually, you know, we start liking each other, and, right. and, and now I feel like like the other buskers are our friends, and we like we say, hey, I'm going to come back in one hour, are you going to be still playing? Oh, yeah, you know, we, it's more... Yeah, we kind of just schedule it, you know, yeah, whoever's there first, like, and then we're like, yeah, yeah, so we'll be here until 10, you know, you can have it then. Huh. And, uh, but so like all the people on like Bedford and everything like that's also illegal yeah. as well. Yeah. Everything, yeah, everything is everything legal. Yeah. Well, what about those people in uh, 
with the signs. Well, you said that's part of the alliance, right? Wait, that's right. on the mezzanine. The mezzanine, right? in the mezzanine with the music on the New York yeah, signs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's legal. So what are the cops? Do they come and they're like, you guys can't be here? Or it, depends. it depends on the cop. Sometimes the cops like our music and they just let us keep going. But yeah. sometimes they like they'll yell at us and be like, this isn't a club. That's so cr- I mean, I feel like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess. Oh, really? So. The thing, well, the thing is that it's not like a strict law. It's kind of like ambiguous. Ambiguous, yeah. yeah, because we don't have amplification. Right, that's the one thing I know. Mean, it's like no electricity, right. but you guys are loud as shit. Yeah, we're so, loud. Like, yeah. the guy with the pan flute is definitely not going right. to start it. He's got amplification. Actually, does, yeah. if you look at the the, plan, the one guy we saw, his his pan flute is still attached to a microphone that he stand that he used to play off of, yeah. which is kind of sad because it's like, a yes year thing and you're not really going to hear the theme to Titanic the same way without the backing tracks so yeah. you guys are loud so I can see how like they would be like well that's kind of yeah, not totally. yeah yeah I mean cops walk we by and say, I can't even hear myself thinking stuff you know right yeah I mean totally makes sense just so do you see uh, you know as things progress you know leaving the subway and just playing more and more shows like was yeah. this a stepping stone totally. or I mean well we have we have a we, we do have a I mean we have a residency right, right. now um, how did the res- how did the residency? It's at Knitting Factory. Yeah. Right. How did that come about? Um, well, I got in touch with them last year because we were we're doing warehouse house parties and those became too dangerous, too illegal, too and too big, and we didn't want to have the responsibility anymore. So we want to contact clubs to play in clubs. And after you know talking a little bit to the re- to Knitting Factory, they finally booked us. And the bartender and intern who was Richard. Um, figured out that we didn't have a manager and he always wanted to be a manager and he's really talented as a manager wait so, so what, sorry I'm talking like, about no I'm, no I get it so Richard was a bartender yeah. at, knitting at, at knitting and, and the book yeah. he did booking and he did yeah, booking and then he oh. got us the residency and he's still working over there yeah, yeah he yeah. still works there too so pretty good pretty right? good yeah pretty it's great good. It's extra drink tickets right huh? Extra drink tickets. Well, we got a bottle of Jameson in the in the green room. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> we have the same writer. Exact yeah. same writer. Well, um, Let's so, play that song. Wait a second. How does the fee get negotiated? Does he just kind of like look in a mirror and be like, I don't know, man. It seems a little high. It's like, well, you know, they're a good band. They've been working hard. No. no. Well, no, he's not. He's not the manager at the name factory. So he has to negotiate with the manager at the name factory. Got it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's rip another tune. I Very, think we can actually say rip another tune for this band. Song from Miguel? Yeah, that's why I've been saying it. Yeah. Let's do it. This next one is called uh, Song from Miguel. Miguel's a guy, a uh, really awesome man, who gave us our saxophones, actually. He gave them to you? Yeah, all of them. So, what? he's a man. Yeah, and they're like the best saxophones you can get. Yeah. So, thank you, Miguel. <laughs> Always. Yeah.
Barn burner. Are they getting pissed off over there? I think they're getting a little. I think it's a little loud. <laughs> it's uh, fine. I, 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 I think we'll maybe just keep it at those two songs, and we'll just kind of take it out. Cool. Because, uh, uh, wait, can you go back to that story about getting the saxophones? Yeah. Um, when I was living in Portugal. In By the way, that sounded awesome. Yeah, that sounded really good. I, I just want to say that even though they went around and asked, everyone was like, no, we're totally cool with the music. Really? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so you're in... I was living in Portugal in 2000, 2007, and I literally received a phone call from somebody I didn't know, and he asked me, give me your address, and I said, why? And he's like, I'm in a divine mission, and you're the chosen. And, like, wow. I gave him my address, and a week later, this fucking crazy saxophone arrived. It's a con that's 60 years old. It's, like, a really rare saxophone yeah. that all the, like, famous saxophone players played on. And then I came to New York, and I actually got to meet the guy that gave me the saxophone. Mm-hmm. Wait, how did he hear about you, though? Um, I played a jazz festival in Portugal, and a friend of his saw me and told him about me. And and then I got to meet Miguel finally in in, Portugal, in in New York, and he's like a really cool guy. He's a saxophone player himself, who got a lot of money by doing a translation company, and he's the most generous, amazing guy. And I just mentioned like I did, I just asked him like what kind of brand of baritone saxophone should I get? I'm like thinking about buying a, a cheap one, and he's like, oh, you want a Barry? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I have a Mark VI. Those are twelve grand. They cost twelve grand. There's this one right here. It's like the best one. I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I have it in Valencia right now. I get, it, I get it to you by the end of the month. And he did. And then we played a party at his house, and and he took... Well, Mike, do you want to tell that story? Yeah, so we, were playing, so we played a party at Miguel's house on his roof. And, um, you know, just having a good time. And then after we played, he's like, hey, Mike, I just bought a Sonny Stitz horn off eBay. Sonny uh, Stitz is a really famous accent player. Yeah. Uh, like from way back he's like you want to check it out I said yeah obviously so I go down and uh, he's like why don't you play it if you fall in love with it you can have it it's like oh my god okay (laughs) who is this guy Jesus a good man man. (laughs) he's a saxophone Jesus but um yeah so so we went to his room and like a bunch of people came and I played it and I loved it you know it was just like the best one I ever played and uh Gave it to me that night. It was a trip. It was pretty weird. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> the look on your face was. Amazing. Mike started crying. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I cried a little bit. Yeah, I would. I would cry I would too. I would cry too. I would cry too. That's amazing. And it also, you know, shaped two thirds of the band. Yeah. And the sound like. It's all. Yeah, it's all. I mean, vintage, is it, is it, vintage saxophones that yeah. we could never afford. <laughs> Nine ones from 1941. Yeah. And it's all coming from these two. Like you couldn't recreate this with cheaper horns. No, you no. could, but, uh, but but not but, the same quality. I mean, you can't. I mean, you, you can't. Can, yeah. Replace a Mark Six, you know. You can't replace a Con. Yeah. yeah. All. It's amazing. So, um, you know, uh, why don't you guys tell us about? You know, you have a show coming up in April, right? Yeah, April thirteenth. Yeah, April thirteenth. Knitting Factory. Yeah. Is it just you guys, or is anybody else playing? Um, it's just us, and mm-hmm. it starts at twelve a.m. So, or, midnight. Yeah, midnight. midnight. Oh, amazing. Uh. And then, uh, so wait, is that the Thursday night or the Friday night? Yeah, that's the confusing part. It's Friday night. Okay, yeah, you, can, you can buy tickets online at uh, Ticketfly. I, I usually just try and tell people it starts at 11.59 on Friday night. Yeah, I know, 11.59. Because then, yeah. 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 It always gets confusing, yeah. 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 11.59 and then they don't Friday miss, night. 11.59, 59, 59 seconds, you know. Yeah, might be 59 second seconds, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we, t- we take this age. And then um, <laughs> you guys have one record out already. Yeah. Where can yeah. you get that? Yeah. You can get it on Bandcamp. Yeah. 
Um, on iTunes, you can get it on Amazon. Amazon. Any, anything that you can buy CDs on. Spotify. Um, anything, really. Amazing. And then you said you have another record coming out. Well, it's not coming out. It's uh, just being produced right now by us. Yeah, created, we, yeah. We have about probably 23, 24 Yeah, we have songs. another 12 songs. Amazing. But, but we want, what we want to do for our next album... We, this album is totally acoustic, everything. And for the next album, we want to... We want to elaborate on the sound a little bit, you know. Like we're gonna start incorporating electronic effects. In yeah, or, or we've been also going to junkyards collecting metal, and you know we're planning on building percussion racks, and I don't know. We maybe even incorporate like some rhythmic samples of a train, of a subway train, going through the tunnel in Bedford. You know, Got cut it. it up, make a drum set out of it. Just like we want to experiment a lot with it and surprise our fans with our next That's album. Awesome. Bigger Amazing. band. Um, yeah, well, no, we're expanding well, the band. We're gonna, we're gonna have some guests. We're gonna have yeah. a rapper. We're gonna have a singer that we're actually working on with right now already. And we're also gonna invite five saxophone players for one song or two. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Um, all right. So, why don't you give the nuts and bolts of where to find you guys uh, online, Twitter, email, bookings, all that stuff? Yeah. Um, you can you can see us online. Uh, just you know, um, Facebook Moon Hooch or Twitter Moon Hooch, um, moonhooch.com or uh, moonhooch.bandcamp.com just google us we're on youtube um awesome so i think we're gonna have to call it today yeah the uh okay. this is the first time that's actually two of the owners are sitting out there oh, of no. all the times that have come we, to play we, we'll do one more is roberto out there we're good on one more guys oh we are good on one more yeah. oh okay all right um so uh any, okay great all right so on the show so thank you to uh everybody who's on the show today thank you for the fried chicken sandwiches from uh, smith canteen seersucker uh, are you going to be here next week? No, I'll actually be gone for the next few weeks. Uh, next week, Jack, you'll be happy about this. It's a DJ set. Uh, Lemonade, um, our good friends Lemonade are going to come back. They're going to play a DJ set, talk about the new record they have coming out in May. And then, uh, yeah, we'll be back with uh, some more episodes of Snack and I'll be back in a few weeks. See you. Okay. Well, okay. You going to be okay? I guess. I'll hug you after this. All right. Okay. I didn't know you were going to be missing so many weeks. Surprise. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, okay. well, I'll, and, uh, I'll be here for well, this for this next one. We're gonna. What is that? Wenzel's sticking a cardboard tube in his saxophone, in the bell of the saxophone, to um, to lower the pitch of the horn. Yeah, so it makes, it makes the lowest note a minus six lower. And we're gonna try and emulate some dubstep. Uh, okay. All right, here we go. So sorry, Moon sorry, owners of. No, no, no. no it's fine. Moon, fine. Hey, they gave us the sign off. Moon Hooch on uh, Snacky Tunes. Uh, I'll see you next week. Greg will not. Have fun at Coachella. I'll try. Okay, bye. <laughs>
Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.